nothing happens in Valleygate. The days are growing shorter, and noticeably so. It's dark around 7.30pm, and the days of grey that cast the town in a ghostly pallor give a feeling of foreboding like something wicked is on its way. The rain continued this week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It wasn't heavy, pounding rain. No, it was light, but near constant rain. The sidewalks were dyed a glossy brown, and in the evenings, the soft red glow of the hearth trees reflected off of the puddles that form in the roadsides and under dripping awnings. Then on Friday night, a storm came through, probably an Odic storm, which makes sense. Ode has just made his way across the ocean, heading for the plains of Arbora for the winter, but on his way, he made a stop in Valleygate and gave us a reason to stay inside. Lots of thunder and lightning up the mountain and down in the valley, and around 7.50 p.m. that evening, the hearth tree's glow that guided one's way in the storm-ridden outside went out, as did many of the lights in the homes and businesses of Valleygate. A night without power. This isn't an uncommon occurrence in Valleygate. Maybe four times a year there's strong enough winds or a stray strike. And so there they were in the dark, both working on their respective salads before the main course. Their waiter came by with a flashlight and gave them both vouchers for a free entree next time they came in, and they left. The rain was gentle. It was barely still storming when they got outside, and Harper shielded Colin with her jacket and opened his door for him. She slid into the driver's seat and turned the heat on in the car. Some first date, huh? Harper said. Colin could hear the disappointment in her voice. I think it's going great, he said. Can I play some music? Yeah, please. Colin connected his slate to the car's stereo and began playing some of his favorite music. Uh, what do you want to do? Harper asked. Uh, we could go back to campus and watch a movie or just drive maybe? I don't know. Harper thought for a moment before pulling out from the brewery and began the half an hour or so drive to campus. They chatted a bit on their way back and listened to Colin's music, but as they crossed the bridge a mile or so away from campus over the river, Harper had a sudden idea. She stopped the car and simply said, Follow me. Colin looked confused but followed her out of the car. She jogged over to the bridge's edge. There's a stairway there down to the walkway that stretches along the river. She leapt over the gate that's meant to block people's way this time of year. It can get dangerous with the river flooding with all the rain. But when she did, she turned back to Colin and gestured for him to do the same. Is this legal? he asked. Harper just shrugged. Come on. Colin leapt over the gate as well and he followed her under the bridge. They took shelter from the rain here and Harper sat herself right next to the river on its edge. Wow, this is pretty cool, Colin said. I come here sometimes when I want to get away. Do you want to get away now? Not from you, she said. I just didn't want to go back to campus yet with everyone else there seeing us and, I don't know, I, I wanted to just be us for a little longer. Well, good, because I was thinking the same thing. The river wasn't flowing quickly by any means. The wind had mostly died down and the storm passed onto the south, but the rain wouldn't let up. Thanks for coming on this kind of botched date, Harper said. I don't feel like it's botched. It's just alternative, Colin laughed. Alternative dating. Mm, yeah, I don't love that. 
No, I don't either. It sounds odd. Harper turned toward Colin and took the chance. She leaned in and kissed him, her heart fluttering as she did so. He kissed her back, and they were locked for a minute or two until Harper, filled with adrenaline, pulled away. She stood up quickly and turned to him. Do you want to go swimming? Colin just stared, wide-eyed, and just nodded. Only a few minutes after the power went out, Robert Hollyclover, the town ranger, received a call on a slate from Chief Charlie Goose saying he was on his way. Robert's job as town ranger is somewhat amorphous. Two hundred years ago, he'd be armed with bow and sword defending the town against monsters, standing side by side with ten other rangers. But nowadays, since the ranger order has been reduced to a relic of a bygone age, he's armed with a spray nozzle connected to a root health solution heading to find a fallen tree standing arm and talon with a falcon named Thunder. He got in his truck and began following the bird that circled the skies above, searching for where the missing link was in the line of lit trees among the darkness. But the winds were strong, and Thunder was having a hard time navigating the buffeting gales. Robert knew this, and he called Thunder back to him with a loud whistle, and the bird flew into the car through a passenger window, soaked with rain. Robert turned the heat of the car on and began searching best he could through the windshield as wiper blades struggled to cast away the rain. It wasn't too long, maybe ten minutes or so, before Robert identified where the problem occurred. He had driven a fair way out of town, weaving through the high peaks of the giant seat mountains. But at last he saw where the string of red light suddenly ended. He pulled over on the side of the road and sent his location to Chief Charlie Goose. Charlie often assists Robert in situations like these, and by the looks of the tree in question, he'd need at least one other set of arms. The tree, 15-ish foot tall, with a trunk you couldn't wrap your arms around, was tilting at a 45-degree angle. Robert was thankful it hadn't fallen into the road and blocked any traffic. He got out of the car and squelched through the rain in his boots toward the tree. When he got close, he noticed something odd. The split in the trunk was not indicative of lightning, and it certainly wasn't a root problem. As he examined the trunk, he noticed bits of wood scattered around the tree in deep but tiny grooves near where the trunk had separated. This was done with an axe. Someone had cut the tree down, but why? Robert searched along the tree's grain, looking for where the hearth seed was. Hearth seeds give the trees their glow and regulate the power passing through them and their root systems. But he couldn't find it. It had been taken, removed with some sort of tool. He didn't know why this was useful for anybody, but he stood from the tree and began working out a way to bypass this tree and connect the two beside it. He found the largest roots of the other two trees and sat there puzzling for a while until Charlie pulled up in his squad car. Robert did his best to explain the situation, and Charlie just listened, then kneeled by the split tree and examined it for himself. It was indeed split by an axe. Charlie confirmed that as well, but instead of worrying about the mystery of it all, the two of them began tinkering around with how to get power back to the town. It took them the better part of three hours to figure something out, but at last they dug up some of the fallen trees' roots, severed them, and grafted them to the roots of the other two trees. It was a slow and arduous process. Many roots had to be dug up to accomplish the task, but they were finally able to get it, so the rest of the trees lit up beyond them, one by one, crawling their way toward Valley Gate like a string of red lights. Robert thanked Charlie and began the drive back home, the both of them in their separate vehicles, wondering who could have chopped down the tree and why. But at least the sleeping town of Valleygate would wake up to everything being back to normal and living a life 
where nothing happens in Valleygate. Hey folks, thanks for listening to episode 6 of Nothing Happens in Valleygate. This episode was written, recorded, edited, and sound designed by me, Josiah Duff. However, the music you are hearing right now is by my good friend Andy Ferris. Thank you, Andy, so much. Go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or on Podbean. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I look forward to hearing from you there. You can also reach out to us by email by sending an email to visitvalleygate at gmail.com. Go ahead and send me your email, and I'd love to correspond with you there about ideas or theories you have about the world of Valleygate. I'd love to hear those. I'd also love to see some art, if any other artists out there that you could send some art that you've done of maybe characters or locations that's always welcome and i would love to share it on our socials which is instagram you can find us at visit valleygate on instagram as well and that's where i share some art that i've done i haven't shared any production photos yet but i'm planning on getting some at some point so i can share those with you as well thanks for joining me this week folks and i hope you have a wonderful week bye